0: Well, today uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, this week and next week, uh, and then we're going to take a little break from Acts and move into some different things. But uh, the Bible, uh, I love the Bible, not just because I'm paid to say that, uh, but uh, I love the Bible because the Bible helps describe so many different types of people and how God can use any and all No matter where you're from, no matter what your background is, no matter what your skill set is, no matter um, if if you know God or don't know God at the moment, uh, He desires to use you. And, And if you were here last week or happened to watch it online, you know we talked about Timothy. Timothy was a young man of mixed race. I didn't talk about it much last week, but his father was Greek, his mother was Jew, his father was European, his mother was Middle Eastern. And those two came together, a child named Timothy, and God used Timothy in a mighty way to to bring from an unbelieving father to a Jewish and a Jewish Christian mother, this man of faith that went on to do mighty things for the sake of Jesus. And this week, we're going to look at a woman, a businesswoman, as a matter of fact, who will help change the landscape of Christianity across the continent of Europe, think about that. If God used you to change the landscape of Christianity across a continent, like Texas, (laughs) or some other continent, maybe like South America... But that's what we're going to look at today. And I'm so thankful that God uses anyone and everyone uh, for his glory and his grace. So we're going to pick up uh, the story from Timothy, uh, Paul and Silas, uh, getting Timothy to join the gang, and they're making their way uh, ultimately across to Europe. That's what we're going to look at today, and they meet this lady, Lydia. And so of Acts chapter 16, we're going to begin in verse 6. We're going to read verse 15 and then hold your Bible open because we're going to come back later uh, to another passage uh, in Acts 16 as well. It says this, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, that's Europe, uh, was standing there urging them and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Choaz, we made the direct voyage to Samothrace or Th- Samothrace, depending on where you're from, and following the de- that following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This episode here of Paul and Timothy and Silas and ultimately Luke, the writer of Acts, is a great testimony of of God's movement in our life. And I want to show you again, because we're all, as Americans, experts in geography. Uh, We know world geography better than anyone else in the world. And so I want to show you uh, again where these guys went. So uh, you see Antioch kind of right in the middle of that if you can read that far, uh, they tried to keep going uh, really southwest is where they wanted to go, uh, but God kept telling them no, 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 no. And so they end up at Troas They're on the coast uh, of what is modern day Turkey. Um, and so that's where they are. They kind of make their way all the way to Troas. Uh, they go across the Aegean Sea, which is that unnamed body of water there, to Neapolis. And then they make the 10-mile journey to Philippi. Uh, so in modern day, Greece is where they end up uh, on the continent of Europe. And so here they are. They, they end up in Greece, but they wanted to stay in Asia Minor. They wanted to stay in Turkey. They wanted to keep ministering in that particular area where God had been using them. But God kept closing the door time and time and time again. The Spirit wouldn't let them go. The good news is they listened to God. The good news is they paid attention that when God was telling them, no, don't go here, they kept going another direction. They paid attention to the Spirit's movement. We're not sure why God kept closing those doors, but he did. And so finally, Paul has this vision of this man from Macedonia, from Europe, calling him to come and minister to them, and so he listens. This story is a a great reminder. This portion uh, of this story is a great reminder to us that closed doors lead to open doors. (laughs) That just because God is closing a door in your life uh, doesn't mean it's horrible, it's the end of the journey, that everything is over, it's a lost cause, whatever phrase you want to use. God will oftentimes close doors in our lives so that he can open other doors. And usually those open doors will lead to much greater things than we could have ever imagined. What if Paul and Silas and Timothy would have said, "Eh, God, I I think we know what we're doing. We're just going to charge ahead here in Asia Minor. We're just going to keep evangelizing the country of Turkey. We're just going to keep going. God, you're going to bless it anyway because that's what you do, so we're just going to keep going. One thing probably wouldn't have been as fruitful, and two, when would the gospel have gotten to Europe? And if the gospel didn't make it to Europe, when would it have come to this side of the Atlantic Ocean? We don't know the answer to those questions, but One of the things that we have to constantly remind ourselves is to be sensitive to God's spirit, to his movement in our life, that when he closes a door, he's preparing us for an open door somewhere else. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy were sensitive to God speaking to them, and and they trusted In those closed doors. If you have done any study on missionaries and the history of of missions, you know there are a number of kind of famous historical missionaries who started out to go to one place and God ended up taking them to another place. Uh, There was a missionary, David Livingstone. Uh, He wanted uh, to go to China and God sent him to Africa. Uh, William Carey, uh, if you're a Baptist, uh, many Baptists know who William Carey is. Uh, William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia, and God sent him to India. Who doesn't want to go to Polynesia? Like Tahiti, like, uh, I'm ready. Who, Who doesn't want to go there? Beaches and palm trees and coconuts and speaking French. You know, hey, doesn't get any better than that. God sent him to India. He was in India for six years. Six years before one person accepted Christ. Six years. He toiled and shared the gospel and tried to meet people and encourage them. Six years. And then Ida and Iram Judson there's a college named after these two men, William Carey and Judson College. He wanted to go to India, and he made it there, but then God sent him to Burma in Southeast Asia. God will close doors so that he can open doors for you. So don't be angry at God. Don't be frustrated when God closes the door in your life because he's preparing you for another open door. And so Paul's efforts to be sensitive to those open doors, allow him to go to Europe. And now this group of three, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, is now a group of four. And if you read it just kind of and breezed by, you wouldn't see it. But in verse 10, if you'll look at it, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go. So somewhere along the journey, Paul and Silas and Timothy picked up Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. They picked Luke up, the doctor, the physician, and they take him along with them to the other side of the sea, to Greece. And it's on this trip and subsequent trips that they end up seeing the gospel go to three major cities. Two major cities in Europe. Thessalonica and Corinth, and another major city in Asia, Ephesus. You might have heard of it. And so they set sail, and they stop in that little island for a night, and then they make it to the port city, which is Neapolis, and they walk the ten miles from Neapolis to Philippi. The, The path, the stone path from Neapolis to Philippi is still there today. You can see it. And they get to Philippi This famous city in the ancient world Named after Philip II And because most of us Our world history ended in 10th grade We may not remember uh, How important Philip II is But you sure know how important his son is Because Philip II's son Is Alexander the Great And so this city is named after Alexander the Great's dad Philippi and so here they are in this city, and it's a, a Gentile city, a, a city that doesn't have Jewish influence. And, and we know that because there's no synagogue. They, they don't go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. They, they go to this little gathering place of prayer outside the city. And so they get there, and there's, there are some women praying, these God-fearing women. We might call them God-conscious today. There are folks that that believe in a God, but but they're pursuing. They don't don't quite understand that they are seeking after God, that they're God worshipers. They acknowledge the the Almighty God. And so when they get there, they see a group of women praying, which is further testimony that there's no synagogue because in ancient culture, um, in the Jewish culture, you had to have ten men, ten men constituted... uh, a synagogue. So there were no Jewish men in that community. And so you have these women who are praying. And they're gathered there. And one of them is a lady named Lydia from a different, from a different city. She's not from Philippi. She's from a different city. And she's there probably on business. But she's joined these ladies for prayer. Uh, she's a seller of purple, which was an expensive Uh, commodity in the ancient world. And so Lydia was probably a wealthy businesswoman who was there from her city doing business. And on the Sabbath, she gathered with these other women to pray and to pursue God. And so Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, here they are gather with these women. They're praying, and Paul waits his turn. It's a great lesson, not just for men, but for all of us, to wait our turn. I imagine for some of us, probably we get into that scene and, and we see these women praying, and if, if we have any Bible knowledge, we just jump right in and start, you know, telling them the, the truth about Jesus and going through the Old Testament and, and really kind of making ourselves known because we're now the expert. These are, these are god fears, but they don't know. But Paul waits. He, he waits for them so that he can speak a word when the time is right. And so he preaches the gospel. He shares the gospel with them. And Lydia receives the message of salvation. Don't stop listening to the truth. Don't stop listening to the truth. Lydia was open to the truth. She was open to to hear the message of the gospel. She was open. It's a great lesson for us that she could have in her success and her power, her position probably in that community and even in her hometown, could have used that position to say, you know what? I've got life taken care of. I'm good. Thank you very much. I believe in God. And that's enough for me. But she wasn't too wealthy. She wasn't too intelligent. She wasn't too grown up. She wasn't too smart or too wise or too savvy to not listen to the truth. We always need to be open to the truth, even when it's challenging, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard to hear. Because when she heard the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, that he was the Savior, she received that message. And because I'm confident that Lydia was a person of action uh, based on her profession, based on her leadership and her business, that She didn't just want herself to have this great message. She just didn't want it for only for her. She wanted it for everybody, everyone in her household, to know the message of salvation. She wanted everyone to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And so she brought Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke and said, hey, let everybody know. And they all believed They're all baptized. One of the greatest things that you can do for your family is lead them to Jesus. Whether you're a teenager, a grandparent, you're like me in the sandwich generation, which means I've got my parents and my kids that I'm loving on and dealing with. No matter where you are, Lead your family to Jesus, and not just to salvation. Lead them to Jesus in every way possible. Do I lead them to Jesus in how they treat other people? Do I lead them to Jesus in in how I pray and how they pray? Do I lead them to Jesus in bringing hope to those who are hopeless? Do I bring them to Jesus in turning the other cheek? Do I lead them to Jesus in being a risk taker and upsetting the apple cart? Rocking the boat, not flipping the boat, rocking the boat. Do I lead them to Jesus? That's what, that's what he did. That's what she did. And Lydia, imagine this. The fir- she's probably the first convert, the first Christian in all of Europe. Think about being the first. Some of you are first born. Some of you have gotten first place in something. Some of you are the first one to the dinner table. Some of you are the first one up every day. Think about being the first. It's amazing. The first person in all of Europe to know Jesus. It's amazing. Today in our 930 service, we had a first. A young mom that is attending our church is the first one in her family to be a Christian. She's from China, originally. And how she came to faith in Christ is an amazing story. And I want to share with you a little bit of that so that you and I understand what it means to, to not just lead our family to faith, but, but to be a person of risk, a person of faith, a person who is first. Not so that we can be the best, no, that so God can use us in mighty ways. Her name is Catherine. She and her husband, Michael, have two small children. She grew up in China in a small city there And when she was 18, she took the college entrance exam, and if you don't know anything about China and their educational system, this one exam you take at age 17 or 18 determines not just which college you can or cannot go to, but it also determines more than likely what profession you will go in. How's that sound? No, thank you, right, students? Because not like the ACT or SAT where you can take it 92 times uh, to improve your score. And if your GPA is good enough, you probably have a pick of a litter uh, on colleges. No, this one exam determines it. And she didn't do very well. She was a very smart student. Her mom is a professor. Her dad is a librarian. And she didn't do well on this exam. And so she said to that point in my life, I was taught that I could only depend on myself. That philosophy worked great until that exam. And I didn't do so well. And I thought my life kind of had fallen apart. But I managed. I went to college. She then came to the United States to pursue a doctorate. And she landed in, of all places, thank God the Lord protected her, in College Station. And when she landed in College Station... Uh, she didn't know anybody, obviously, but a church that our church actually has quite a bit of connection to, Grace Bible Church, helped her, befriended her. Some people helped her move. They, they moved her mattress into her apartment. She didn't have a car or a driver's license and did everything for her and helped her get settled in College Station. And she began out of curiosity to go to that church because they intrigued her. Why were these people so nice to me? Uh, why would they do something for a complete stranger? Why would this happen? And she said, I, I could see that, that going to church made them better, but I couldn't understand it. I, I knew the Bible was a great story, but because of my atheist background, I couldn't believe it. And she said, eventually, I just stopped going, even though I knew those were great people. And then she met the man who had become her husband. His name is Michael. And in 2012, they went on their first date, and it went so well. They had great things in common. They talked for hours. And on their second date, Michael said this to her, I know that you are an atheist, and I'm a Christian. Christianity is important to me. Would you be willing to go to church with me? She said, of course. I'm not against going to church. I'm very curious about it. And this is a a great line. I'm a piece of white paper when it comes to religion. I look forward to adding colors to it. That was her perspective in 2012. And so... Her husband-to-be would give her some books, and they spent most of their dates talking about faith and Christianity. And two of those books that had a great impact on her were The Purpose-Driven Life and The Devotional, The Jesus Calling. And she and Michael had a number of of discussions around these two books, including his family. So it wasn't just Michael sharing his faith with her. It was his family sharing their faith with her. And as she was pursuing her Ph.D. and finishing up, he also has a Ph.D. in microbiology. We have some real kind of dull people around here in Friendswood. So we have two Ph.D.s here. Uh, he has a Ph.D. in microbiology, and this is what she says. He looked at me in my eyes. If you remember the last few weeks, we've talked about, we've talked about looking intently and how the gospel can penetrate our soul and our eye through our eyes. He looked at me in my eyes and laid out all the scientific evidence and showed me how it was impossible for all creatures to evolve from a cell and how God created everything. And later I did more reading on the archaeological evidence that proved what was described in the Bible. It was then that I began to trust. When I was pregnant and working in Austin alone, Michael was finishing up his Ph.D., I depended on reading the Bible and that devotional every day. It was then that I realized how much I needed Jesus and how much my life would have been different if I didn't have Jesus in my life. Faith in Jesus got me through that difficult time. And then as she was writing this testimony, her family, her parents who who live with them here, have been going through some health issues, and this is what she says now that This is what Christianity means to me. I was sitting in a waiting room outside my father's biopsy procedure when I wrote this testimony. The old me would have been worried, hurt, and doubting. Doubting why our family was put through something like this. However, at that moment I felt peace. I prayed with my dad in Chinese before he went into his procedure. And when I opened my eyes after the prayer, my dad had tears in his eyes. My dad is a non-believer. The two nurses next to us said Amen with me. And I'm pretty sure they don't know Chinese. (laughs) Our Almighty God is so powerful. He brings people together at places where we never see ourselves. I wonder if Paul and Silas and Timothy saw themselves in Greece. He brings us in places where we never see ourselves. And it was at that moment, it didn't matter what language we spoke, where we were from, or why we were there. The only thing that mattered was that we need Jesus. Despite what I see or go through now, I trust him. I lean on him. Knowing where he takes me is ultimately the best place. Listening to the Spirit of God move in our lives. And I pray that he will take my hands and guide me. So I'll have a purposeful life that I can never live on my own. Next week, hopefully, you'll get to see a photo of Catherine, and if you see her, especially if you have preschoolers, hopefully you'll run into her and Michael on campus. They attend our 930 service. But a testimony of what it means to be the first and to understand the power of the simple gospel message and to lead my family, to lead those And my friend said, at the workplace, wherever I go, to lead people to Jesus, to demonstrate that lifestyle of faith. That no matter what comes my way, I can trust him. That's the kind of person Lydia was. And Lydia used what she had In an amazing way. For her to invite Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke to her house meant that she was pretty wealthy. It means that probably she had a mansion as her second home. Oh, by the way, because she lived in a different city. She had a second home that was a mansion. And she invited these men in to stay. And then what happens after verse 15 important because if we just ended there and she prevailed on us right this strong businesswoman wasn't going to take no for an answer that's kind of how I read she prevailed on us Uh, they weren't going to tell her no that they couldn't stay there she was determined to make them stay there and what happens between verse 16 and when we see Lydia again is important we're going to talk about it next week Uh, Paul and the gang end up in jail and there's a miracle that happens But then they get out of jail. And so I want you to turn uh, the page, at least in my Bible, I turn the page, to verse 40. And we see where Lydia is mentioned again. And so they get out of the prison. They went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, that should be a clue for all of us, they encouraged them and departed. If we're reading this narrative and we see this crazy scene that happens, and we're going to look at it in detail next week, uh, about Paul and them in jail, there's a great miracle that happens. Everybody freaks out. They end up out of prison. But I dare say that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are not fan favorites in Philippi. They, they, they are not everyone's favorite people in Philippi or they wouldn't have been arrested. And yet Lydia receives them back in her home after they get out of prison. Now, in the meantime, what's happened is there are some dudes that have accepted Jesus. Some men have accepted Christ because they're brothers now. They're men of the faith now. And Lydia here is a critical piece to all of this. This amazing businesswoman is a critical leader, not just in the business world, but in the church world now. More than likely, the house church that starts in Philippi is at her house. She is the one that funds Paul and Silas and their team significantly throughout their missionary journeys. She uses everything at her disposal, no matter the cost, personally or financially or from a faith perspective, to see the gospel advance. She is a risk taker. And isn't that what we're called to be? Risk takers. Jesus was never about the status quo, and yet somehow that's all we're about is maintaining equilibrium and status quo. Don't upset the apple cart, please. Don't rock the boat. Just go along to get along. And yet nowhere in the scripture do we see that as a, as a characteristic of a person of faith. A person of faith is always a risk taker. And in here we get to see this great woman who is a leader in the community and ultimately in the church Take the gospel in amazing ways. And so let's be people who are risk takers because that's what God's created us for. And you and I need to leverage everything that we are and everything that we have for the gospel. We need to leverage everything. She leveraged her business, her home, her hospitality, her strong-willed nature. She leveraged her friends. She leveraged everything for the gospel's sake. Everything at her disposal she used to advance the kingdom. And I'm amazed somehow that, that today we, we have this separation anxiety, I think, that what happens Monday through Friday somehow stays on Monday through Friday. And what happens on Sunday stays on Sunday. And never the two mix, but there are things that you as students and and employees and leaders in the business world, there are skills and gifts that you have in that environment that can be used for God's glory, not just there, but also here. You have resources, both financial and time and expertise that can be leveraged for the gospel. And so, don't ever confuse that how God has made you for your job or your work or your studies, that somehow that doesn't connect to the gospel message. That doesn't connect to my faith life. No, your faith life permeates everything. And so, use, because everyone in this room is brilliant, and everyone online watching is brilliant, because we have brilliant people around here. You're all super smart, you all have gifts and talents. God's created you in unique ways to leverage what you have for the gospel, and that's what Lydia did. And because of her, the gospel goes to Europe. The gospel expands to Asia. The church is born in Europe. And so what could happen because of your testimony, because of your skill and gifts, because of your leverage for the faith? What could happen? Let me encourage you, don't be short-sighted. Don't think you have, I don't have much to offer. No, you do. That's why you're here. So use your influence, your position, your skills, your gifts, your passions. What are you excited about? Use that to advance the message of Christ. Because maybe one day in 10 or 15 or 20 years, someone will be reading from a laminated sheet of paper about how you were the first or the second or the tenth to see God move in this area. What a testimony that would be. So those us be people that take risks for the kingdom's sake. Will you pray with me?